Cast Royale, the Clash Royale podcast for casual players. I'm Rob. And I'm Joe. And this week, we're spending the hour talking to a very special guest during our birthday episode. Boom. Boom. So what's up, man? We are here on episode 34 with a very special guest, as Joe alluded to. We have Woody. Woody. That's me. Thank you very much for inviting me, guys. It's been a pleasure being introduced to your podcast, learning a little more about you, and now preparing for this amazing birthday episode that you've invited me on. Well, I got to tell you, we are super, super excited to have you. So thanks for taking the time to spend it with us. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners, give a little bit about your background, where you come from, and that sort of thing. Of course. So I'm Woody. Some call me the Mortar Mauler because I love to play Siege decks. Love it. I'm the leader of Reddit Alpha. It's uh, one of the global top 10 clans. We are actually number nine at the end of last season, and we do really well in the competitive scene. Just recently won Royale Premier League Europa. Reddit Alpha is a founding member of Reddit's Royale clan system, and that's a group of several dozen different clans that all kind of get together under the same umbrella uh, through this Reddit community. So when I first downloaded the game during the soft launch, I uh, kind of fibbed and said that I was a Canadian so that I could get in early. <laughs> I did the same thing. Don't worry, you're not alone. <laughs> okay, okay. I don't think Supercell's going to send the, uh, the account police after me, I hope. That's right. Pro- probably not. The, the statute of limitations is, is way beyond that. <laughs> but I got registered, and I was looking for a clan, and uh, the only Reddit clan that existed at that time was called, just called Reddit. There was, there was no other name. It was founded by one of the uh, subreddit moderators, and it was full. I couldn't join up. So uh, I had searched Reddit before because I'd had a little bit of familiarity with the Clash of Clans Reddit clan system and the task forces that Reddit organizes through Boom Beach. And so I, I wanted to kind of create something along the similar lines. So I made my own. I called it Reddit Alpha. It was based upon the Boom Beach task force that I was in at the time. And, you know, I just thought Alpha sounded cool. It sounded, you know, like the top dog, you know, the, the Alpha Wolf. And, yeah, uh, I like it. Yeah. So uh, I created that and just wanted to build it up. Uh, as big as I possibly could, the competitive slant led to our kind of one and only rule. We kick our bottom member whenever we fill up, and we only allow members in if they are at least at the number 25 spot or better in terms of trophies. Oof. So everyone we accept is going to improve our average, and everyone we kick out is uh, going to be at the very bottom. They, they go on to create feeder clans and... Uh, different uh groups beyond us in in the reddit alpha clan family we've got eight of them now eight clans but uh the very top clan reddit alpha just pushes as high as possible uh with as you know as many trophies as we can and yeah we we have a lot of fun doing it Uh, that's really interesting and it's funny because the way that you run your more your most competitive clan of the family right is formulaic right like you you take the lowest member to kind of expand the the rest of the community while you improve your main clan Exactly. And, uh, you know, there's a little bit of discomfort with this. It means sometimes kicking out guys that we're real good friends with, um, but that we still really want to keep in touch with. So that led to the creation of a Discord server where we can Mm. keep in touch with everyone. Um, We promote from within, so we always try to make sure that anyone who was once in Alpha but is now in Bravo or Charlie or is pushing up maybe from Delta up to Charlie or Bravo, uh, that they kind of maintain their status within the clan family. And, uh, ha- you know, keep that opportunity to continue advancing. Um, a-, a way long time ago, we were just mostly like level 9s, 10s, 11s, doing our best to even get onto the global uh, top 200 leaderboard. 
And so we, we still have a lot of friends who um, really haven't spent a whole lot of money in the game, but are really highly skilled. You know, they're sitting at the level 9, 10 uh, spot, and they aren't really quite able to push to the top of the ladder like some of their other members are, uh, but are really wonderful members of the community, and we really try to keep uh, the entire clan family tight, all eight clans that we have. That's fantastic. Um, Joe, it, it, it makes me uh, it makes me happy that we don't kick people out of our clan like that. We have a, uh, a 25 minimum donation that we use in our clans, and that's pretty much all we look at when we wind up kicking anybody every week. And so far, it's been slowing down a lot. That's true. But although now that we have this bright idea, maybe we can just start doing this, right? We can always just start... <laughs> Just kick everybody. Don't we have technically feeder clans that were created by the community now? Somehow that that happened pretty recently, <laughs> actually. So so we actually have seven total clans now, which just kind of popped up out of nowhere. So so, yeah, that can kind of relate to that that aspect, I guess. Yeah. Um. So one of the things that we you know, you said you listened to a couple of our episodes, which is fantastic. Thank you. Um. Have you noticed that every time we start the show, we typically do this thing where we uh talk a little bit about what we've been doing in the arena in the game yeah so we'd love if we can get your insight into what you've been doing into the arena and then we'll uh we'll do ours what i've been doing in the arena well i'd say that over the past week or two my big change uh if you could call it that was really just changing one card out in the deck uh that i've been playing for i guess about a month and a half maybe since uh early mid-february it's a mortar cycle deck that relies on princess as the uh, ranged splash damage. Uh, but I recently switched her out for arrows and uh, have been having a lot of success with that, both on tournaments and uh, on the ladder. I think I actually was number 553 global at the end of last season. I'm still level 12. And I'm going to do, do my best to get to level 13 uh, by the end of this season. And I will say most of the cards that I have are maxed out. It's just my, my king level is still down to uh, at level 12. Joe and I don't even know how to register the numbers that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I think I think my highest I think my highest rank globally was like 300,000 or 200,000 or something like that. I'm I'm almost there. I just have to, you know, just bump a couple of trophies. Yeah, up. just you just a little bit more. You just got to spend five more bucks. You'll That's you'll it. get the cards you need. You you rocket straight good. to the top. I've always you told myself I just need a few more gems and then I'll be fine. <laughs> That's all you ever need. Uh, yeah, so that's awesome. Thank you for going into that. Um, it's, you know, as you could probably guess, I've been using uh, Purple Flames deck again, um, but I wound up finding a new deck um, that I've been using. It actually uh, stemmed a little bit from the Growler that we talked about on the last episode. Yep. Uh, so I tweaked it, um, and I'm very excited because it uses the Miner, and uh, it's been giving me a lot of success. I just don't think that all the cards are where they need to be level-wise in order to uh, be in the arena at the legendary level. So I got to kind of work my way up with that. So I keep bouncing back and forth between that deck and the purple flame deck, you know, cause now that you can leave the legendary arena at 3,800 trophies, I have to be careful. That's true. That's true. But did, so question for you guys, have you realized that like minor control decks have just become pretty prominent over the last couple of weeks? That's why I made one. Yeah, because yeah, I was going to say, for, for the Growler, the Growler's a really good deck, but when you add the element of a minor control aspect to it, mm -hmm. it really helps to keep your opponent off guard. So uh, I'm assuming, was that, did it help this week or not so much? Uh, it did help. It kind of kept me where I was, which is fine. Um, I mean, at some point I wound up dropping too close to 3,800 for comfort. 
So I went back to the purple flame deck and, you know, brought myself back up to like mid 3900. So I'm okay with that. And that's where I'll start using that deck one more time. So, so your strategy <laughs> is to deck is to deck test until you're about to get out of the legendary arena and yeah. then go back to what you know works. I have no other strategy. I don't know what else to do. Oh, it's hilarious. My week in the arena was pretty good. Um, I've been using the, um, I've been using a mixture of the Growler, which we talked about last episode, mm-hmm. and the 2.6 Hogs. For those who are uninitiated, I, I know that the Growler is, is the, uh, the Graveyard Bowler. But it is. Other, it's, it's also <laughs> called the, the Gravy Bowl. It's, uh, it's a very control-oriented slow deck, right? Yeah. So that, that's what you've been working on improving recently. Yes. Is that right? Exactly. So it is super, super slow, very control-oriented, uses the Bowler to counter your opponent's push effectively and efficiently. And then develop that into a crazy counter push with the Electro Wizard, the Graveyard, Poison, boom. And that's just kind of how it works. So I've been kind of toying with that. But that's a really slow deck, like what you just said, right? And then the other deck I've been using is the 2.6 Hulk Cycle deck, which is super different. <laughs> um, both control-based, but one's just very quick cycling. So um, I've been having pretty good success, but you know, still just trying to stay around the 42, 4300 trophy range. Cool. Um, yeah, so, uh, I actually have, well, Joe and I both have some questions for you. Um, and we want to kind of throw them at you right now. Um, yeah. So the first one, I think honestly, just because I want to know this, like right now is what is your favorite card and why? Here we go. Here we go. Starting off with the softballs. No pressure. It's got to be Mortar, dude. It's Mortar. They call me the Mortar Mauler, and it is a name that has stuck because of my love for this card. It's my favorite. I love playing Siege decks. Uh, I think ever since around the April time frame, I've been playing Mortar. Uh, April of 2016, that is. Uh, I, I originally played Spell Cycle decks back when spells did 50% of their damage to towers instead of 40%, uh, but they pretty quickly got rid of that and got me into the point where uh, I, I was really having fun with Siege. It uses Mortar as the win condition, so since it's a common card, it's easy to get leveled up, just like those sure. pesky Royal Giants and Elite Barbarians out there on ladder. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think it's also <laughs> a really strategic deck, right? You play defense for pretty much the entire game and then find little opportunities to try to needle your opponent's tower over on the right. You get one nice connection with a Mortar, and it's just such a good feeling. You know you're <laughs> on your way to getting uh, several hundred damage off on the right so it's been better and it's been worse throughout different uh stages of the metagame mortar has had his ups and downs but i always enjoy finding the new uh best mortar deck watching the other players uh who are you know always experimenting and and, and trying to trying to learn the archetype there's actually a lot of guys in reddit alpha that play uh siege decks really well uh shout out to turtwig data a really long time alpha who has been playing uh both expo and siege Wow. Uh, rather expo and mortar yeah uh but yeah to cut a long story short mortar is my favorite card it's in pretty much all the competitive decks i play and uh, i'm always looking to improve my mortar is the play. mortar maxed out is your mortar maxed out oh yeah for sure it was, i think it was the first common card i maxed out <laughs> i was just gonna say that has to be the case right <laughs> the first card overall that i maxed out yeah so i think it's really interesting that your favorite card is not only a siege card but it's also playing a siege deck right because i think a lot of people find frustration either playing siege decks because when they play against them it's very difficult to deal with people aren't really used to them they don't really know the ins and outs of them so it's very hard to beat a siege deck especially when it's played really well but then you kind of take the opposite side of that you try to play a siege deck like myself i've tried to play siege decks all the time 
and I can't make them work. <laughs> so here's my question to you. If you're going up against a siege deck, mortar versus mortar, do you like that connection? Like, do you like that matchup? Or do you prefer some other matchup instead? I would say I probably prefer uh, a, a different matchup, like against Hog Rider. I, I feel like Mortar is kind of the Hog Rider of Siege, while Ex- mm-hmm. Expo is more kind of like a big Royal Giant type of deck. Um, Mortar plays really quickly, uh, plays very well in chip cycle type decks where you're happy just to get a hit or two in with the Mortar. Um, I think going up against another Mortar deck can kind of get to uh, be a little bit grindy whenever you have the same win condition as your opponent, whether it's Mortar versus Mortar, Hog Rider versus Hog Rider. You're usually playing some of the similar support cards behind it, uh, and it just kind of gets to whoever is in the better stage of their cycle winds up doing better. So uh, I don't hate Mortar versus Mortar, but I, I think I'm better uh, going up against some of the more uh, you know hit-and-run type decks like Hog Rider. Sure. And, and, and I think you just brought up a really good point, right? One of your points was it depends on who has a better cycle. Um, and I think one thing that Rob and I talk about or we try and talk about is you know, whenever we talk about decks, we always talk about the perfect cycle. You know, how should you play your deck in a perfect world? But a lot of times, that doesn't exist, especially right. when you're playing Clash Royale. <laughs> so, so my question to you is, what, what tips would you give to a player if the first four cards that they get are not the cycle that they're looking for? How can they take that disadvantage that might be in their deck and kind of turn that around? Is it possible? Or is it just something they have to kind of deal with and take the loss? Well, I would never advise your listeners to just deal with it and take the loss. So ha, here's going to be yes. my advice. Good advice. Play reactively. If you don't like the cards in your hand, it's usually because there's nothing that you can really do with them proactively. You've just got these cards that you kind of want to throw at your opponent's cards. But if they haven't played anything yet, there's not really a whole lot to do. So uh, the first step would be to try to wait, play pr- reactively. Um, if you can't do that, I'd say try to play the least cost card first. If you've got skeletons in your hand, just throw the skeletons away. They're just one cost. You know, same thing with an ice spirit. Uh, makes it a lot easier to cycle through your deck if you've got those cheapo cards to throw around like that. Um, if you have a much more expensive deck, uh, then you're going to be in a lot more trouble. If, you know, you have like a 4.0, you know, upwards cost deck, you probably have a lot uh, of uh, r- really expensive cards to play. And so I, I'd say maybe the problem isn't in your gameplay, but in your deck building, uh, mm. if, if that seems to be the case in a lot of instances but so that's actually a really good point um and i think it brings us to another um topic that has to do with tips for because i mean obviously our our podcast is geared more towards the casual player but we definitely have listeners that um you know are on the higher end of the spectrum um but we try and make sure that we you know do tips for people who are just getting into the game or maybe don't know all the basics uh, around like building a deck or um you know play style like you just brought up uh getting rid of the first four cards if they happen to be terrible like you just have to be able to do that and come to grips with that's just something that you might have to do so what would be probably I'm not, I w- I don't want to give you a number uh but what would be your top tips for the casual player that is trying to move themselves up in the ladder that, you know, you would tell someone? Top tips for the casual player. Well, I'll give you three tips, okay? I'll give you one for before the game, one for during the game, and one for after the game. I I think it's a pretty good breakdown. So before the game, you've got to pick a deck that uh, fits well together and that you are going to enjoy playing. A lot of players 
will screw this up one way or the other by either picking a deck that doesn't really fit well together, just kind of throwing eight cards that they like, uh, or on the other end, they'll just pick a deck that players at the top of the ladder are doing really well with, but that they don't have any personal affinity towards. So uh, picking a deck that is well-constructed and that you enjoy playing is kind of the best of both worlds because you then get something that you know that top competitive players have been able to have success with. If you can then leverage your own practicing and abilities to find uh, success with it as well, I think that that is uh, the, the most important thing before you even start a match uh, that'll put you on the path toward victory. When you're in the match, next tip, number two, <laughs> make sure that you don't overcommit. I think that this is probably one of the biggest problems uh, in, in kind of the, 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 the maybe 2,000 to 4,000 trophy range when players are trying to push up into that next echelon, you know, reach the next arena. They're just mm -hmm. a little bit short on trophies. They often overcommit to a push that they, they think that they need to, you know, throw a ton of elixir at one lane in order to get that tower down. Uh, when ultimately, a lot of the times, if, if you're fighting for your life on ladder trying to get uh, another 100 or 200 trophies, you're oftentimes going to be up against players who... Uh, either have more experience than you or have higher level cards than you mm -hmm. and can really punish hard uh, any mistake that you make. And I think that overcommitting is one of the biggest mistakes uh, that unfamiliar, uh, that people who are unfamiliar with their decks or inexperienced in general will make. And then the, the third step, the after the game, is to actually analyze uh, the games. You know, there's a replay button that you can go check your matches afterwards. That is so critical to learning. Uh, that I, I cannot recommend highly enough. You're uh, sharing that with your clanmates, even when you lose, and especially when you lose, uh, to get their advice on how to improve the little small mistakes that you might have made here and there that didn't really seem like an error in the heat of the battle uh, can really become quite obvious when you're just kind of watching it dispassionately afterwards. Uh, if you're tilting, this is kind of a good way to detilt, in, in my instance, anyways, because I can kind of rationalize why I lost a match. You know, it wasn't because, you know, I suck, but it was because I made a mistake here. And this is a mistake that I can learn from and improve upon. So personally, that third one, that that tip is crucial. And I think I can really relate to that one because I'm very analytical and I love to criticize myself, especially when I lose. I try to take everything that I do wrong in a given match and learn from it. I think if you're critical about yourself, then you can learn more and more about what to do better, how to master your deck, and how to counter others. Um, so personally, I can relate to that one. Rob, how about you? No, I'm, I'm totally in agreement. I actually think that that's something that we've brought up before because one of our listeners either left us a review or shot us an email and asked, and this was a long time ago. I mean, we've been yep. doing it a year, right? They've asked what would be one of the best ways to kind of improve your game. And I think we told them that we always go back and look at uh, our replays because like you were saying, Woody, if it, it becomes very obvious what might not have been so obvious while you're actually like raging in the middle of the game losing. So <laughs> that's never happened before. Yeah. No, Throwing that cry mode out. <laughs> that was good. That's right. That was pretty good. Actually, you've done that before, Woody. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm a Twitch streamer. I, I try to keep the emotions down, but sometimes they just bubble up and I, I can't help myself. I love your cards that you show up that have the emotes <laughs> on them. I watched your video um, and it, I thought that that was the best part about the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Um, so uh, I, I actually, we, Joe and I wanted to know a little bit more about um, the clan that you're in. So can you tell us a little bit about what it's like leading 
such a high level clan and and more about like you know how you get more involved in like the community when you're when you're in such a position like that of course uh so it boils down to relationships and uh this is definitely not something that i could manage my own i'm talking about the clan of course the reddit alpha clan family we've got 400 players across uh the eight clans with 50 players per clan and have an additional kind of extended family if you will of players who are no longer playing the game but still active on the discord server uh or who are content creators but not necessarily pushing ladder or in competitive leagues so uh we have a lot of people it it really does kind of rise to the level of community management more than just kind of like team building you know with a a small group right Uh, and so i work very hard with my uh my clan leaders uh there's seven other clan leaders in the reddit alpha clan family and with the co-leaders in reddit alpha to make sure that everyone has a role everyone has good expectations about what they are supposed to be doing uh what they are allowed to do and what we would prefer they uh you know talk to us about doing before they do it uh and so i I suppose for instance we uh promote members in game to elder right and elder is a role that you uh get the privilege of kicking other members from (laughs) if you uh, so choose to uh, but even though there's kind of this widespread understanding that you get kicked if you're number 50 when we fill up, we ask the elders not to do that. And so uh, we, we try to keep that as a role that's uh, carried out only by co-leaders and the leader. And the reason is we want to be able to send that player a message on Discord uh, and let them know whenever uh, they're being kicked at, to go down to the next clan down in the feeder system. We also do our best to avoid kicking during a clan chest uh, or any other event. That might arise if we've got a visitor to the clan we don't want to be kicking out players who are at the bottom just because you know we've got kind of an, uh, a quick influx of members who are doing practice training or what have you uh but i, I think that uh relying upon the friendships that you build through the game to uh you know establish strong relationships and relying upon um the, the, those friends to be able to carry out the uh, responsibilities that you give them is is crucial for any large group of people and especially uh in clan management yeah no and i think rob that's something that you and i can relate to here right because i mean we have the cast royale community and to woody's point we've i think kept it to about one or two elders at a time um, we tried to yeah and then they all kind of quit the game one by we, one by one <laughs> wait, I gotta, yeah i gotta t- we gotta tell woody this so we used to have a curse that every time we would promote someone to elder this was like back in the early days both joe and i would promote people to elder in the clan and then literally within a week they would quit the game so we called it the curse of the elders it happened to at least five or six elders that we had yeah so we very quickly decided that making people elders all at once was probably a bad idea. Otherwise, we wouldn't have any clans anymore. <laughs> that gives me a really good idea. Maybe if I, you think if I join Nova and just promote everyone to elder, we can, <laughs> we can infiltrate them and, and, and take them out from within. It could help. I mean, it'll, it'll get you another spot on the rankings, right? <laughs> or maybe you guys have to do that. Maybe it's, it's your curse of the elder. We could be like the spies. We'll just go over there. That's right. We'll just we'll figure out a way to infiltrate Nova Esports. No big deal, right? <laughs> no problem. No problem. Yeah, it can be done. Um, but but Woody, to, to your point, I mean, we, we talk a lot about community, right? And I, I think one thing that's important is what difference do you see as a member of not only the Clash Royale community, but also the, the Reddit community? What do you what impact do you think that has on the people that are playing the game with you? Um, you know, is it healthier for the game? Is it 
is it less fun? Is it more fun? Like what, what impact does having a community that you're supporting um, have on the game? It is absolutely healthier. When people know each other and talk to each other outside of matches, uh, everyone tends to be friendlier toward each other if they have a reasonable expectation that the person that they're, you know, maybe dropping a BM emote against is going to be able to mm-hmm. come back and, you know, get them back one day. They're, they're going to be less likely to do it. Uh, or if they think that their, you know, friend on the other side of the arena will take a joke and will understand it, they can have a little bit more fun with it. You know, they can sure. uh, they can try to, you know, get under their skin and, and you know, um, you know, get at them. Uh, so I, I think kind of on both fronts, in, in both in terms of being friendly and in, uh, you know, having a, you know, competitive, fun uh, aspect of the game, that knowing who you're up against and knowing the players that you are uh, playing the game with, it, it just makes it better overall. So I, I think communities like Reddit Alpha uh, and, you know, at um, the larger scale, the Reddit clan system, which has thousands of members, uh, that knowing other people uh, and being able to talk with them about strategies outside the game, you know, tell them about your, your, your life, how things are going, you know, why you weren't able to, you know, put some crowns into the clan chest that last time. <laughs> uh, it can make it better overall just by uh, spreading the camaraderie and, you know, being happy and having fun. That's definitely one of the things that we've noticed. And especially since uh, starting the Discord channel, um, we definitely feel like we've been way more connected to the people that are in not only in our clans, but who are listening to the podcast. Um, one of the one of the negatives of doing a podcast is you don't have the ability to have that back and forth. Um, and there's no way to really leave comments anywhere other than if you want to leave a review for someone. Uh, so having the having the avenue of being able to, you know, send someone a DM or shoot them a screenshot of what you're doing in the game or, hey, I'm going away on vacation, so don't expect many crowns from me while I'm away. Like those are all things that make it really open and the everybody's really transparent and way more understanding when you're in a situation like that. So I completely agree with what you just said. OK, so we've been talking a lot about the casual player uh, communities, casual player clans, things like that. but. Woody, one thing that you brought up before was your competitive clan and then your competitive nature within the game, right? Global 500 ranking, which is just incredible. Um, and when I think of competitive Clash Royale play, my mind almost immediately starts going to the word esport. Mm-hmm. Um, and Clash Royale as an esport has seemingly started to come about. It's kind of come to its own. Um, and I want to know from your perspective, what does that picture look like? And is it something that you think can be successful within the game? Uh, well, that's a great question. And it's one that I hope that I'm partially qualified to answer. I think that any level of competition in any game can become a sport, or in the case of a video game, an esport. Uh, I think that what you need on top of uh, highly competitive gameplay is a viewership audience that's interested in watching it in order to get sponsors who can inject money into it so that the players can uh, have a reason to train and improve themselves and attract more viewers who will bring more sponsors. It's kind of a self-fulfilling uh, you know, circle there. Once you get the interest uh, generated among all parties involved, it uh, becomes a lot easier to turn a competitive game like Clash Royale into an esport. So I think it really could be successful. I think that there's the potential there for Clash Royale to really jump onto the scene. There's been another game called Vainglory, which is a mobile game, and it's been 
very successful in moving into the esports scene. Uh, there's actually a new website that I am a contributing author to. It's called Mo Esport. And it was through my writing for Mo Esport that I got connected with Northern Arena, an organization uh, that is led by the League of Canadian Gamers, that invited me to go broadcast a live event in Toronto. And uh, I, I think that that was probably my first foray into uh, Clash Royale as an esport. I got to just sit at a commenter's desk and, and watch other people play the game. Uh, and uh, I, I think that that was it, it was really fun and it was a, a great travel experience. It was awesome working with a highly professional team. And from my experience so far, it definitely works and it can definitely be successful where it goes from here. Uh, depends upon, I think, a lot of factors that are out of my control, uh, but that I would want to position myself well uh, to be ready for. And that is, uh, do we have companies and organizations that are willing to put the money into uh, making these big type of events like we saw last year with the Clash Royale North American Open? Right, uh, right. We saw 16 of the best players from North America who emerged from these massive brackets of thousands of players competing uh, to reach the top and uh, ultimately go to the big stage in California and uh, be broadcast all over the world for multiple tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of viewers. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I think that Clash Royale can become that, can continue being that and expand uh, to even wider audiences. I know that Supercell uh, wants to see competitive Clash Royale become more of an esport. They've talked publicly about implementing new features into the game that would make it more uh, accessible to teams that want to organize and promote Clash Royale as an esport, as well as uh, features that can let the common player kind of build up their resume and become more experienced uh, so that they can compete at this high level. Uh, one of the early things that they did was introducing the tournament rules standard, where uh, level nine for commons is kind of the cap that you have to reach in order to have cards that work uh, on level parity with everyone else under tournament rules. So yeah, that, that, those are my thoughts, and uh, I guess anything in particular about esports, uh, you know, I, I, I can try to answer from there. No, I think I think that was a really good summary on a very like robust topic, right? Um, and I I think one thing that you had mentioned is that Supercell is is starting to kind of devote some time and energy into the game as an esport. Um, and I think one of the most recent examples of that was the eSports World Championships. Um, and that was the winter 2017 event. And Woody, you yourself made an appearance there as well. That's right. I got to co-cast that with BBXH, uh, another one of my good friends. We actually had also co-casted Northern Arena together, kind of mm -hmm. fortuitously. We just live about uh, half an hour away from each other. And so we can make the trip out to her studio uh, and uh, co-cast. I, I think that co-casting is a lot of fun, uh, and it adds some vibrancy to the game that you're watching. Um, I, I can't recall who said it, but it was something along the lines of two co-casters who are good are the best for experiencing the gameplay. One <laughs> good caster is second best, and one bad caster is third best, but two <laughs> bad co-casters is, is kind of the worst possible scenario i think that bbxh and i are really two good co-casters with great synergy uh and we play off each other pretty well uh i i think i'm really good at the kind of the line by line ticky tacky uh tactical you know strategic moves that players are making and she can really 
uh, do a great job of providing an overall picture of what is going through the players' minds uh, and, and talk about what's going on in the battlefield writ large. So uh, from casting ESWC Winter 2017, my biggest takeaway would be that this is just the beginning, that I look forward to many more wonderful events like ESWC with even bigger prize pools and even greater uh, audiences in terms of you know size. So uh, yeah, my, my takeaway is that it was uh, a great event and I look forward to more. That's fantastic. So, you know, um, obviously you play a lot of games, but being someone that casts a lot of games, you are watching probably way more games than the average person. So from your experience and you watching all of these games, are there some things that you would particularly like to see added to the game that could possibly be for either both pro and or the casual player? So one big thing that I think would really improve the lives of both pro and casual players is uh, a tournament's 3.0, if you will. And uh, by that, I mean, we, we had the introduction of tournaments a way long time ago where we had these massive 15,000, uh, uh, you know, maximum prize uh, chests that you could earn. Mm -hmm. the, the tournaments would last three days long and, and <laughs> players would go nuts. The uh, good you know, old they, days. Yeah, the good old days, <laughs> if you could say. It was kind of anarchy. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, then we moved kind of on to tournaments 2.0, where everything uh, became a lot more standardized, simplified, uh, easy to access, easy to understand, uh, and I think improved the lives of a lot of casual players who uh, could now kind of get into a tournament, play it for an hour, hop out, and be done with it, but right. made it a little bit more difficult for the top competitive uh, pro players to get the, car the huge prizes that they've been used to under uh, tournaments 1.0 and also uh, to have that really long-term hyper-competitive environment in which they could really shine uh, through some quality play. At this point, if you have a thousand players playing for only one hour, it's really kind of difficult to say that the number one player was really the best of the entire bunch because right, right. It, th there's just not enough time to get the matches in. Uh, so I, I'd really like to see tournaments 3.0 come out soon. Uh, Clash Royale has been evolving in this a direction of more hyper competitive, uh, but also trying to be uh, casual friendly. And I think that the next thing that we ought to see out of tournaments is uh, bracket play. And hmm. this is something that matters a lot to me because every pretty much every tournament that I've participated in uh, that's been developed through the community has been in a bracket format. It just makes a whole lot more sense by giving players more time to execute the matches. Uh, by just having one winner kind of emerge victorious over their opponent. It, it, it feels like the dual format really makes a whole lot more sense to have uh, a bracket. You know, when you're in this kind of ladder format, you know, you, you just have a thousand different players who are always kind of jockeying for position, moving up and down. But Clash Royale as a 1v1 really is well positioned to be in this uh, dual, you know, bracket. You know, the king who performs better knocks the other king out and he's, you know, ejected <laughs> from the arena type, uh, type of thing. Uh, I think that brackets would also favor uh, decks that go deeper into overtime a little bit more uh, with the kind of, mm. you know, really quick paced action that you have to try to get uh, that win in three minutes or even less in some cases, if you can three right. crown them uh, in, in even shorter time, that's even better. Uh, makes not necessarily for the best gameplay. And so uh, I'd really like to see brackets implemented in tournaments 3.0 and the reintroduction of really big prizes, uh, more, more customization for tournament creators. Uh, once again. Right. And I think that that's a really good point. I think those two things kind of go hand in hand, right? Like if you have 
more skill-based competition and you have less, call it, volatility and the ups and downs of a ladder swing, having more or larger prize pool is better, right? Because it's more rewarding to the people who actually you would consider are the best player in that tournament. Yeah, and if Clash Royale is really going to facilitate the community events that have been cropping up, and you know, even the ones that they've put on themselves, like the Clash Royale North American Open utilized a bracket format, it would make perfect sense to me for them to implement it officially within the game, uh, you know, not just for 1v1 combat, which would be really great uh, addition, but also for team-based combat. They uh, have seen a lot of community-based leagues cropping up. The Royal Premier League, I think I mentioned earlier, Clan Royale League is another really popular one. The Clan Royalty Championship Series. There's all these different acronyms and alphabet soups types of, uh, of tournaments. <laughs> another really recent popular one that I'm participating in is Clash Wars. Uh, but all, all these different leagues use a bracket. They have 1v1 combat uh, between the, you know, the different players on the teams. And so just creating a way in the game to facilitate that. Uh, so that you don't have to you know, hop in and out of a clan and worry about players who are you know, trying to troll you by joining the clan and spamming chat or anything like that. Uh, just creating a, a, a simple UI that can manage all of this uh, would be a good step in the right direction. That's a really great explanation. And I think, I think one other topic that's interrelated to this, maybe a little bit off topic, but slightly related, is a new form of, of call it, competitive tournament style play um in that i don't know if you've heard of it but it's it's called the draft mode uh, or draft challenge and i think the rum ham was pretty big in part in this um and effectively it kind of takes the card pool and kind of puts it all out there and there's eight or more so people um that kind of have the ability to go one by one by one by one by one and select cards to create a deck um have you had any chance to see this kind of gameplay and what what place if any do you think it has in clash royale from a competitive standpoint i have seen it and i love it and i also love the way that the developers implemented draft mode by having mm-hmm. you pick between one or two cards you get whichever card you picked and your opponent gets the other one uh, i think that the way that the rumham has been doing it on his stream and uh on his youtube channel is also really great you have I think it's like eight players, each choose eight cards. So there's 70 cards in total. You get a few leftovers uh, at the end. I think that that is a wonderful way to really test uh, a player's deck building skills as well as uh, see if they're familiar with pretty much every card that exists in the game. Um, it can make for a little bit wonky uh, decks that get constructed. So um, <laughs> I, I think it really does have a high skill cap if you if you will uh in terms of the amount of knowledge that is required to play that format properly um and i think that the in-game draft mode is a really accessible way for casual players to kind of get their hands uh around uh, you know on this draft format and and have success and fun with it i think that it is not hyper competitive and i think Mm. that is okay uh i think that constructed deck making uh, is a big part of Clash Royale and that you shouldn't really take that away for the top level level of competition. But I think that this is a great side event and I think that it is something that should be promoted more than just once a month as a, a special challenge. I think that it ought to be a permanent in-game mode that players can find and use whenever they want to. If they want to make a draft tournament with their friends, they ought to be able to get together and say, hey guys, let's go put this together 
we'll we'll stream it, we'll broadcast it, we'll have fun, and then uh, we'll be done with it. Instead, what we have right now is just kind of this hodgepodge of, oh, it's available right now, hurry, quick, go do it, and then, oh, ah, you can't do it anymore. I love the fact you just said the word hodgepodge. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Uh, oh, that's that's a, yeah, actually, now that you say that, what I have always envisioned for the game is that when you press play, it asks you what type of game you would like to actually be playing. So, like, would you like to play a ladder? Would you like to play a tournament? Would you like to play a draft challenge? Or would you like to play maybe in the future the 2v2 clan battle? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, I think that a, a key design philosophy for Clash Royale developers has been to emphasize simplicity, and they really mm-hmm. want to make it easy to get into that match. So. Uh, they they really love that battle button, and there's been they, numerous recommendations to like try to make it slightly different one way or the other to make it so that you know it, it, you don't accidentally hit the battle button or you you know have a battle button that has like a confirmation screen. Uh, mm. I like the idea, and I, I like having multiple game modes. Um, I think it's important for ladder matches to remain relatively uh, vanilla in, mm-hmm. in their construction, and the reason for that is you get longer queues. Uh, and you get players who are less familiar with the different game formats, who are uh, less interested in, in, in jumping in and hitting that battle button if they're worried that they don't really know what they're doing. Uh, so I, I, I like the idea. You know, I, I'm excited for more game formats to become available soon. We've got that 2v2 coming out this week. And uh, yeah, I, I, I hope that they at least become available on Friendly Battles. Yeah, t- totally agree. All right, so shifting gears a little bit before we go into like the big topics, because I know we had a lot that we wanted to talk about. Um, Just a couple. Yeah. So if you could make a balance change to any one particular card because you feel that card is maybe a wee bit overpowered, <laughs> what would it be and why? Or underpowered? Can, can, could I, be underpowered, can I get mortar? Yeah. Can, I, can we buff mortar? No. Ooh. Um, as tempted as I am to say, you know, buff mortar and decrease the deploy time to three seconds, or <laughs> to nerf Royal Giant and increase its deploy time or decrease damage or something like that, or even Elite Barbarians, I think that the one card that is really stifling the metagame right now and makes it very difficult to play around is Lightning. Mm. Ooh. Lightning is an absolute killer. It either gets a ton of value and destroys a deck, or it's just completely useless, and it just sits in your hand for the entire match. Mm-hmm. And I think that the fact that you can use a six elixir spell to get a lot of damage off on tower and kill a card like Wizard or Witch means that Wizard or Witch just basically cannot be played. Uh, they are really valuable, interesting uh, metagame not so much uh, influencing, but uh, flavorful cards, right? You, you see the art for these cards all over the place. The Wizard and the Witch are kind of iconic Clash characters, mm-hmm. but they're almost not played at all in the arena, and it's because, in my opinion, Lightning can one-shot them. Lightning also destroys Inferno Towers. It's so ridiculously powerful against them that pretty much every Golem deck, every Lava Hound deck needs to run Lightning yep. uh, in order to shut the Inferno Tower down. And I think that uh, if the interaction specifically between Lightning and Inferno Tower, or even between uh, Lightning, Witch, and Wizard, wasn't so uh, powerful in in favor of Lightning that we would see uh, decks that are are a little bit more chip-based in in their style of play, like the Mm -hmm. Hog Rider decks. We have a 2.6 really super fast cycle Hog Rider deck uh, that I think could be fleshed out a little bit better, and we would see more 
uh, striker type decks with uh, like Goblin Barrel, for instance. The Spellbait decks almost always use Inferno Tower. Uh, right. A lot of the old style Hog Rider decks used Inferno Tower. Um, I think even win conditions like Battle Ram could be used to much greater effect if there were a way for those decks to defend against the massive pushes that had been built up uh, by these beatdown style giant Lava Hound <laughs> Golem Royal Giant. You know, it's just like big bodies are dominant in this game. And I think we need uh, to weaken the spell that makes them that way. And I think that that spell is lightning. Boom. Boom! Yes! There we go, baby! <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, That's like your drop the mic and walk away moment right there. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually the best answer I think you could have ever given on this show. That was great. I didn't expect you to say any of that. That was awesome. Including the boom, which just right. solidified my point. I totally agree with you. <laughs> the boom just elevates it. It's a, it's a whole new level when you throw the boom at the end of anything. So, Boom. Boom. You've, you've cracked the code. I see what you guys do it now. It makes anything that you say so much more important and it, it just adds validity to it, right? Boom. Boom. That's right. It's just, like, crazy. it's just like a point of emphasis. Like people always ask us, what, it, what does it truly mean? And I mean, it, it's just a point of emphasis. It just makes something just more. <laughs> you can't always carry a microphone with you to drop on the floor every time you make an awesome point. So boom, I mean, maybe you takes can. care of that. Well, I've, I've got a plastic mic. Yeah. Rob, you've got a personal issue. You've got to figure this out. I should keep it. Maybe I'll go buy a microphone that I could just drop on the floor. All the time. <laughs> put, put a little well, string on the end so that you can like. I could yo-yo Yank it back, it back up. up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Walk the dog. <laughs> yes. So now that we've completely gone off the rails. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what we do best. I know. All right. Well, we wanted to talk about some of the stuff that's been happening in the game. But before we do that, we did make a promise that we were going to make a shout out to the newly um, created Cast Royale 7 clan. Um, so that was created by one of our listeners. And we need that baby filled. So. Right now, it's currently sitting at one member, uh, the wonderful leader. So he is definitely looking for more players. Um, and I believe the other clans are filled up. So you can't really join many others. So this would be a good one for you to join if you're looking for a clan that's part of our community. That's right. So that, that clan is called Cast Royale 7. It is led by Legend Fighter. Check it out. It is invite only. So be sure that when you do send the request to put the word podcast in the request so they know you came from here. Boom. All right. So we had probably one of the biggest game updates to ever happen to this game. Um, and I don't think that there's enough time in the day to talk about everything that happened. So I kind of want to talk a little bit about like the highlights and some of the things that we really liked about it. Um, so first things first, probably one of the biggest things that uh, happened in this game is they moved the clan chests to be on the weekend. Um, and allowed you to uh, take the crowns from your challenges and contribute them towards that crown chest. How do you guys feel about this? So here's how I feel about it. I think that it's not necessarily good for the competitive scene because a lot of times tournaments take place on the weekend and you don't really want to be clan hopping to uh, get your tournament done and then try to get back and, and do your crown chest. But, oh, no, you can't do it because once you've left your clan, you're ineligible all of a sudden. Uh, it probably helps out the typical casual player who doesn't necessarily get their crown <laughs> chest every day and uh, just has right. more time on the weekends to do that. So uh, it doesn't necessarily help me out. It helps other people out. It helps me out sometimes. I don't know. I, I'm kind of ambivalent about this. My main wish is just that if you rejoined the clan 
where you started your clan chest that you would regain eligibility for the clan chest and that you just like can't contribute to the clan chest if you're not in the clan but that you can come and go as needed uh, and still be able to get it once again as long as you're contributing uh, crowns into it right so it's kind of like you have a home clan where if you're in that clan while you're generating crowns then you can contribute to that clan's chest that would be awesome I think another cool change that we had, they didn't really tell us this was kind of coming, but did you notice that if you're in your clan's view, you can see all of the players that are in your clan, and if they're in a game now, whether it's in a ladder game or a challenge game, you can click the little eyeball and you can watch their, their match? Boy, did I notice. <laughs> do, you not, do you not like that? No, I like it. Um, so my two cents are, I loved it at first, and then, I mean... You know, we'll we'll get into this a little bit later when we talk about the uh, bandit challenge. But I was having a rough time with that challenge, so it was making it even tougher knowing that I always had someone watching me. Um, it just <laughs> gave me a little bit extra stress that I didn't need. So I think the only thing that I would say is I I love that you can do this because one, it shows you who's online, which we've been asking for since the beginning. It's not the way that we wanted it, but it is a specific way of seeing that. Um, sure. But I really would like to be able to kind of go invisible and not let people spectate if I choose not to let them do that. But that's a, that's a small little thing that I think that's probably just my own opinion. I, I'm sure it'll never happen. Great idea, though. Yeah. I like that idea a lot. So we also had a ton of balance changes, and I don't think that it's something that we should go into right now because we've been going over a lot of stuff and we don't want to make this podcast four hours long. Um, but I did want to bring up one thing. We had a new challenge, and it was a bandit challenge. Bandit challenge! Bandit draft challenge! (laughs) Oh yeah. And it was a wild one, and they changed a lot about the way that the challenge worked, right? So Woody, you mentioned it's a draft challenge, so that was pretty awesome, and I think it, it served a different purpose compared to the Battle Ram challenge, which was a little bit different in flavor because once I, I forget where I heard this it might have been on one of your streams or you were talking to someone but um, you know once you figured out the deck that you needed to play it was easy to kind of get through and you knew how to counter the battle ram or even the e-wizard um, uh, challenge that we had this challenge making it a draft challenge makes it much more I'm going to say there's, there's a little bit more luck involved than actual I mean there is skill but a little bit more luck than the other types of challenges that we've had Totally agree. And I think the one thing, the number one thing that I liked about this challenge, can you guess what my favorite thing was? Is it that you got the bandit? <laughs> well, aside from the fact that I got the bandit, okay, I love the fact that the first entry was made free. Yes. And they gave you yeah. a bunch of one-time rewards that you could kind of get as you scaled up the, up the world of one or no wins to to 12 wins mm-hmm. and i find that this challenge more so than the electro wizard challenge was more so geared towards sharing or call it spreading the wealth right in the electro wizard challenge there was no cap so really skilled players like pompeo could get a, a maxed out electro wizard within the time span of the challenge opening and closing um Whereas this time, no matter how many times you play it, you can only get one bandit from the challenge unless you unlock it from a chest afterwards. Um, So I thought giving people the opportunity to, one, play free first and then let them decide if they want to play more and more and more. And also not flooding 
the the population of bandit cards that are out there in the meta, right? Because it's kind of controlled at that point until the card actually comes out. Right. So what are your thoughts, Woody? Man, I love the fact that they went with the draft mode. I think that it does really help prevent uh, this kind of one dominant deck from becoming uh, widely used in in the challenge. So, for instance, if you're playing the Battle Ram challenge, we knew everyone was going to have Battle Ram in their deck. And so everyone ran Tombstone to counter the Battle Ram. (laughs) And then since everyone was running Tombstone, you know, just kind of from there, the decks became very formulaic and relatively, uh, you know, cookie cutter. And so I think that Mm -hmm. the draft mode is great uh, because it allows players to use a vast variety of cards uh, with and against the bandit. They're kind of actually forced into using a lot of different cards uh, by nature of, of, of the way that the draft is, is structured. Uh, but also that you don't always know that you're going up against the bandit. Sometimes you have the bandit in your deck and your opponent's going to go up against the bandit. So it's, it's a good mixture. So I really love the fact that they did draft uh, I love also that they gave us one free run in the first iteration of the bandit draft. They were going to give us a 100 gem refund if we got two wins. Right. But they, they switched it out so that we uh, would just get a gold chest at two wins and, and you got your first run for free. Another amazing idea. The only thing I really don't like about this is that the repeat rewards are half of what you get from a grand challenge. Mm-hmm. So th- this has nothing to do with the one time rewards, which are, are really generous and really are, you know, well geared, I, I think, in terms of the number of rewards that you can get and the size of the rewards. But for players who aren't able to get the bandit on the very first run through, uh, so not talking about myself, I did get 12 wins in the very first try. Uh, for not, <laughs> not those type of people, though. You know, you are, you're getting less value, and it, it just kind of seems like uh, a, a way to stick it to the people who would otherwise, you know, enjoy playing the bandit draft over and over again, even right. if they weren't getting these massive, you know, Uh, level four level five bandits from stomping the competition out just giving us the ability to play it on par with the rewards that you would have gotten from a grand challenge uh would have would have been nice so do you think do you think it would have been helpful if uh after you made it through the 12 wins that maybe if they reduced the cost of entry would have made it better with the same rewards that they had it at like maybe reducing it to 50 or 25 so that could have worked. I, I think that just having the same rewards as a grand challenge would have also worked. Cool. We also had four new cards that were announced, um, and one of them was actually a card that I honestly didn't even think that we were going to ever get. Um, so the first one that we uh, had been seeing really often, um, which is the theme of the entire week, I think, is the bandit. Um, and then we also have word of the dark witch. Um, the bats and then the heal spell, which is the spell, the card that I thought that we were never going to see. I thought it would never see the light of day. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think it's safe to say wasn't this on like Supercells or Clash Royale's like do not touch list and then, <laughs> yeah. or whatever they call this is do not disturb don't touch this and then uh, but I guess I mean they can change that whenever they whenever they want. But I'm, I'm just really interested to see how two cards at, at, at most i guess the bandit and the the heal spell i'm really interested to see how the bandit kind of impacts the meta but i'm even more curious as to what the what the heal spell is going to do to the game you know i don't know if it's going to make the game more defensive or if it's going to make the game more offensive it kind of makes me a little bit nervous but i i'm also kind of like really excited to just kind of see what <laughs> happens with it <laughs> well i can tell you the last thing i want to see is royal gg mixed with heal spell <laughs> uh, 
It's, it's, I don't want to see totally it. agree. But one thing that I will say is that I'm happy it's only for three seconds. So it's just a kind of it's like a quick slap in the face and then that's it. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a much happier slap in the face. Totally agree. Mm-hmm. You're right, though. Heal spell was on the list of things ruled out by Clash Royale. Not only had they just said, no, we're not working on that. They said, we're never going to work on that. They've gone <laughs> back and taken things off that list a few times. And I think this is one of the biggest changes that they've announced. They had previously said that heal spell would be bad for the game because they thought it would lead to really defensive play. They uh, didn't want it to be able to affect buildings because they wanted to make sure that it uh, couldn't be used to increase the health of something and kind of undo damage that your opponents had dealt to your towers. Mm-hmm. But the ultimate rationale for introducing the heal spell, as explained by the developers, is that they believe it will promote offense over defense, that it will make troop compositions even better uh, and a little bit more resistant to spells. So it'll improve the ability of things like lightning that just absolutely one shot and kill a troop right off the bat. But it's actually going to weaken cards like the log that can deal a little bit of damage, but don't usually kill medium-sized troops. Cards like Poison and Fireball that almost kill some troops, but don't quite finish them off, will really be hurt a lot by Heal Spell. Uh, so anytime you see uh, a card like Fireball becoming really popular in the metagame, I think Heal Spell is going to make a comeback and help bolster uh, the defenses of those troops to keep them in the arena a little bit longer. It's actually a really good point. And before we go into the next thing, I just want to say that what I'm most excited about um, is the fact that when the Dark Witch, as a legendary card, because I guess this is, you know, her unique uh, ability, when she dies, she spawns bats. That's right. So I find that really interesting. So it's, it's almost like she's a tombstone for spawning bats. <laughs> That's right? right. Exactly. Yeah, she's, she's kind of unique in that way. We see, uh, you know, death damage in a lot of different troops from the giant skeleton most notably to even smaller troops like the balloon but uh death mechanics like spawning troops when they die you know exploding and a bunch of bats pop out is really is really cool uh she's gonna be much different than the witch because of course she spawns flying units but also because she has a melee attack i don't know if you guys noticed this or not but she right. hits mm-hmm. like a truck i, I think it's not <laughs> quite as hard as the mini pekka but she like she she hits harder than a knight and she has a reasonable pool of hit points. So she definitely is going to have a unique spot in the metagame and uh, hopefully somewhere in your deck. Yeah, that's uh, that's pro- that's a really good point. And um, it's funny that you bring it the meta up because we actually would love if you went into what we dub the meta check on our show. Um, it's a it's a segment that we just introduced based on our uh, listeners feedback. Um, but we know that you actually do something like this. Um, where you check out the popularity of most of the cards that are being played currently in the game. Um, so if that's something that you'd be willing to dive into, we'd love to hear your take on it. Absolutely, man. This was my uh, baby since, I, I guess, uh, probably around April or May of last year. I, I really started doing this uh, on a seasonal basis, I guess, toward the middle of last year. But this is something that really helps players who don't know which cards are doing well in uh, the latter to find those cards, to build the decks uh, around the cards that they enjoy the most, and to ultimately uh, push up to a higher trophy count if they are successful with these cards. So what I do is, at the end of each competitive season, uh, the players kind of get locked into position based upon the trophies that they had. So I take a look at the leaderboard, I record every single deck in the top 100 players, 
And then I, I analyze those decks. So I, I look for uh, which card combinations are very popular, which cards in general have seen the most usage, uh, and then which decks are used by the most players. And I, I kind of have to fudge the numbers a little bit here and there. If a deck has seven cards that are similar with another deck, I just kind of count it as the same deck and will. Right, yeah, yeah, You know, but... Makes sense. Uh, there are some other limitations to the data where sometimes players will switch their decks out and just put, like, a troll deck of, like, all legendaries or all spells in there. <laughs> so I have to pull that out of the data set. Uh, and Fair. ladder is a little bit different from challenges and other tournament uh, battles. So it's it's not necessarily the end-all, be-all. And so I, I concede that it's not perfect, but it is a really good tool for determining which cards uh, can perform well. You know, I, I think that the legendaries are still relatively underleveled at the top of the ladder, but the key thing about uh, the uh, maxed out accounts that you see at the top of the ladder is that they have access to pretty much every card and have pretty much every card at a reasonable level uh, for competitive play. So if a card is doing well or can potentially uh, eke out some more trophies for you, you're going to find it at the top of the ladder and it's going to show up in the snapshot. So with all that being said, what I have found recently in, in the past few seasons is that Beatdown is the most popular deck archetype. These hmm. big, heavy tanks out in front, most notably the Giant, which is seen in just about a, a third of all decks, uh, but also Lava Hound and Golem, Royal Giant to some extent, and even Bowler for uh, those, those Growler decks that we were talking about <laughs> earlier. Uh, even Bowler can uh, kind of have this sort of control Beatdown hybrid element to it. Uh, we don't see a whole lot of the Siege decks that used to be popular toward the middle end of last year, the Expo and Mortar decks. We don't see a whole lot of the chip damage decks like the Hog Rider uh, and e even, car even decks like uh, the minor chip damage that we were talking about a little bit earlier, which have enjoyed a modest uptick in usage, uh, are nowhere near the popularity of just big giant graveyard, you know, assault the tower with overwhelming force and take it out. So that's been my experience, but that's at the very top of the ladder, and that's with some of the best dudes in the world. I know that the kind of 2K to 4K trophy range has been infested with uh, really highly overleveled Royal Giants and Elite Barbarians, and it's kind of <laughs> tricky to deal with. But once you get to uh, the, the trophy range where uh, all the cards kind of balance out, and we see uh, one deck beating another deck, and then you know a third deck kind of rising to try to beat that second deck, and uh, seeing the metagame develop, uh, I, I'm curious what your perspective is on that and, and what you guys have seen uh, when, when you're playing the game. So I think for, for me personally, we kind of talked about this a little on the last episode, but you know, one thing that our viewer pointed out, which you just mentioned here, is that Royal Giant is still used, but at the top it's not used as much. And Elite Barbarians, while they might be used very much so on the way up to the top, they're not used a lot in the top. And I think... One question that we've always had is what makes cards so good to get up the ladder, but once you're there, they're no longer good anymore. Like, for example, Sparky dominates the lower level arenas, but then you don't really see her use that much above 4,000. Um, it, it seems like certain cards have this like little cliff where they kind of just fall off at a certain point. And I just wanted to get your take on. Why that occurs is, it, is you kind of alluded to the fact that commons have a very easy time getting maxed out, so they can be very overleveled when compared to your rares, let's just say. And so people have a, an inherent advantage at that point in time. But is it more than just that, or is it really just card level advantages? I think there is uh, more than just that. And uh, we call this 
concept the skill cap for some uh, more sophisticated players. Uh, that's what they'll refer to it as. So for the skill cap on Sparky, it's relatively low. Uh, pretty much every time you play Sparky, it goes really slow. It kind of lumbers around. It does a ton of damage when it connects, but it can't really do a whole lot uh, against a player who is familiar with the card and knows how to shut it down. Uh, there's kind of a joke that every time Clash Royale introduces four new cards, they introduce four new car- counters to Sparky. Uh, because <laughs> pretty much everything that you can do to it is going uh, to be effective when you know how to play that card right and the right positioning for it. Uh, so Sparky is really great in kind of like the Arena 5-6 area, but once players have played against it, uh, you know, half a dozen times and know what to expect from it, uh, it becomes a lot easier to deal with. Most interactions that they see from like maybe a musketeer and a knight meeting at the bridge, you know, I'm going to shoot mm-hmm. at you, you're going to come and stab at me, and then the interaction happens, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, rock beats scissors, and I'm like, oh, okay, so that, that's how that works. For Sparky, it doesn't really work that way because it just kind of rolls across and then either obliterates whatever it shoots uh, or doesn't hit <laughs> anything at all. So it's kind of hard to understand the mechanics for the card. Um, it is a legendary, so you would expect to it, for it to be uh, a lot different from every, everything else uh, that you would see in, in the commonplace uh, you know, uh, sort of decks that, that exist out there. But uh, I think that's one of the reasons why it plateaus at a relatively low spot. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the concept that you just brought up of skill caps is, is huge. And I think not only cards have skill caps, but, but also decks have skill caps as well. Um, and th- and there's, certain, there's certain decks that are just very simple to pick up that are very good, but at a certain point, they can only be so good. Um, and it, to me, it seems like the things that have a higher skill cap are better to use at the top of the ladder um, because they're harder for other people to play against. And I think to the extent that you can gain an advantage over somebody else because they don't understand the card that they're playing against, that'll really help you kind of overtake them in a game. Absolutely. And the example that you used of Zap, uh, maybe use that example or maybe I imagined it, uh, of Zap being... <laughs> Let's pretend I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, for, for instance, Zap is a relatively high skill cap card. And uh, it sees a lot of play at the top of the ladder because players who can use a zap at the perfect time and on the perfect collection of units can get hundreds of damage, if not thousands, out by being able to reset that Inverno Tower or, you know, get one more swing from a mini P.E.K.K.A. And mm-hmm. it, it really separates the men from the boys, to use a, an old, tired analogy. <laughs> uh, and in, in allowing them to, to demonstrate, you know, their, their, their ability to get that one little connection and to get the perfect read on their opponent and stop and stun whatever uh, their defenses have been set up to be. So uh, Zap is a really high skill cap card, and I I think that's one of the other reasons why you see it up there at the top. Um, Sparky is a relatively low skill cap card, and if you'll indulge me in maybe one more analogy to help your viewers out, you can cut this out later if it's not helpful, but but Tic-Tac-Toe is a relatively low skill cap game, if that makes sense. The game is solved. Once you make your first move, there is an optimal response to that first move. Everyone knows that, you know, if there's a corner move, you, you want to you know, drop it in uh, the center. And if they play the center, you can try to counter them by going on the corner. Sparky just doesn't have a whole lot uh, of things that you need to know in, in order to shut it down. Once you've played against it a few times, you can easily stop it. If your opponent is zapping, uh, you know, your skeleton armies or your Inferno Towers, there's not really much that you can do about it except to hope that they make a mistake. Um, right. 
Zap only costs two elixir also, so even if they make the mistake and don't use it at the right time, they're not really sacrificing a whole lot uh, defensively. It's kind of a high uh, reward but low risk card, if that makes sense. So uh, for that reason, uh, especially among players who are really good at defense up at the top of the ladder when everyone pretty much is uh, a flawless defender and just capitalizes on their opponent's mistakes, uh, a card like Zap really gets a, a ton of value. Yeah, no, I think that's a really, really good analogy. All right, so that was fantastic. Um, let's move on to our deck spotlight. Deck spotlight. Boom. And we have one ridiculously awesome deck brought to you by Woody. And it was the deck that he's been alluding to for pretty much the entire episode. <laughs> um, so... Woody, if it's okay, the style that we do this in is I kind of just shoot out all the cards, um, and then you can kind of walk us through how to play this deck. Okay. So this deck is lovingly called the Mortar Mauler, um, and it is a 2.9 average elixir cost deck, so pretty fast, um, and includes the following cards. Obviously, the Mortar, um, the Knight, Archers, Skeletons, Ice Spirit, the Log, Arrows, and the rocket boom boom so let's take a look at each card kind of one by one the mortar is the win condition of the deck it's the namesake of the deck it's my favorite card and it often plays offensively you pretty much every time want to place this on the outer edge of the arena right by the river uh, and one tile toward the outside uh, so that you can get it as close to the edge as possible while still being able to hit the tower you usually want to play it offensively because you don't have a whole lot of other cards that can make it all the way to your opponent's tower. Uh, and because it does a ton of damage if ignored. It's only four elixir, but it can easily deal half the damage of your opponent's tower if uh, not answered. So the mortar plays offensively very well. You can also play it defensively against some very big heavy beatdown decks to distract like the golem uh, or a balloon because it goes uh, so slowly or even use it to try to kill uh, a big three musketeers push because it can splash uh, those troops pretty well, but generally you're going to be playing that more offensively. Knight is the first troop in the deck. It's your little mini tank out in front, really cheap investment to deal quite a bit of damage and soak up quite a bit uh, of damage as well. He's going to be out front of the mortar a lot of times, or even on, on the back end trying to chop apart goblins or a graveyard. Uh, he can just take so much punishment and has one of the best hit points per elixir in the game. That three elixir cost means you can very easily uh, play him on top of whatever other push you might have uh, been building up. And he's, he's he's just a great dude. You know, he's getting a lot more respect <laughs> from the community recently. We didn't see very much night play at all a few months ago, but perhaps owing to the fact that he's a common, he's easy to upgrade to a high level. Uh, and the fact that he is just a very versatile card that can reach your opponent's tower if ignored, can chop apart uh, cheapo units very easily, and can even give bi like big troops like Big Mama Pekka some trouble uh, if he is supported <laughs> on the back end. I, Knight just has an absolutely indispensable part of this deck. Uh, you can't replace him with Ice Golem. You, you can't put a Mini Pekka in there. Knight just does both uh, of what those cards do very, very well. Archers are the third card. Defensive troop. Very rarely will off will hit the tower. Um, you're spending these guys in the back end to take care of swarm troops that you wouldn't otherwise be able to kill with a spell. 
Uh, they can take out minions very, very well. They take out the skeletons from Graveyard really, really well. Uh, they had been previously nerfed at, at the first round uh, of the balance update so that they were shooting the same skeleton. But that's been fixed since then. So archers do very well against the Graveyard, uh, especially if you're able to get a really cheap troop out in front like the Knight. The archers kind of sit back and just do what they do best, plinking away at whatever is out in front of them and uh, you know, finishing off those, those pesky uh, high damage but low hit point troops like the Musketeer, for instance, or an Electro Wizard. Skeletons are next. They really contribute to the low elixir cost for the deck. They were recently buffed as well. There's four of them, and they are one of the most popular cards in the entire game. We were running skeletons back when they were three count. It is even better now that they are four count. At one elixir, you could pretty much throw it down at any time. Um, it you know barely takes more than a second to generate one elixir, and so if you need that really quick, cheap distraction, skeletons are going to provide it. They also tear through giants relatively quickly kudos to them and uh also do a lot of damage <laughs> to uh things like the golem if, if they're coming in you throw one elixir skeletons on one side while you're attacking the other side and the skeletons will very quickly uh get a lot of damage and they are also great defense against the graveyard once again one of the most popular win conditions at the top of the ladder uh and are paired very well with the ice spirit because Ice Spirit can let you freeze troops for a second and a half, the skeletons often get the chance to actually get quite a few stabs in uh, when those troops are frozen. So things like Hog Rider coming down your lane, you can throw a quick Ice Spirit and skeletons at them, and you'll freeze, deal quite a bit of damage uh, with the Ice Spirit, and then chop them down with that really cheap and easy uh, skeleton defense. Then you can use your skeletons on the counter push to help block out in front of a mortar that you might place in that lane. Uh, or even just help uh, them out with maybe some archers in the back end. I have a question for you. Before you go into the next card, um, is, is that how you would handle if someone threw down uh, E-Barbs for you? Oh my god, this deck destroys E-Barbs, Rob. I tell you, man. Whoa. Elite Barbarians, what they do not like going up against is a big group of enemy troops that can get played in rapid succession, right? E-Barbs <laughs> just want to chop up one big target, be done with it, and move on to the next big target, and then, you know, take the tower down. When E-Barbs get gummed up by an Ice Spirit, who's freezing them for a second and a half, and splashing for damage on both of them, right. getting, you know, torn apart by little tiny skeletons that they take a long time to get through. There's four of them. So the E-Barbs, uh, you know, take their sweet time chopping each one apart. And then if you are able to add on something like a knight, archers, or even roll a log through them, uh, these cheapo cards get mondo value. With uh, the tower, too. Oh, yeah, with the tower helping out on the back end. Yeah, it's a good point. All right, sorry, I didn't mean to disrupt your flow. I just, I need to know for when I try out this deck, because I know e-barbs are going to throw me for a loop, so. No, absolutely not. My flow is undisruptible, if that's a word. <laughs> it is the, now. The log is the next card in the deck. It is used in uh, over half of all decks as well at the top uh, of the ladder. Extremely popular ground defense and works extremely well with siege decks. It's also played quite often in expo decks uh, because you're able to push enemy attacks off of your mortar. So one of the right. big things that you don't like going up against are enemies who can dump really high DPS troops right onto your mortar. Because you have to place it so close to the river, oftentimes if they can just throw a hog rider or even something scary like a mini P.E.K.K.A., uh, it can tear through your mortar in just a few shots. Having the log gives you the ability to not only push off the and kill the small chippy troops like goblins or spear goblins, skeleton army, 
Uh, but it gives you the ability to reset the targeting of whatever is going after your mortar. It gives you the chance to throw down those skeletons or add in a knight into the mix uh, to make sure that you can actually get through their counterattack and let your mortar do what it does best. And that is, of course, shooting the tower. And I'm assuming that uh, because you're clearly still running this deck, that the balance change where they decrease the damage by 4% didn't really affect it too much negligible it's it's super minor it doesn't change any particular interaction so especially if your log is at uh, level parity with most of your other cards you, you shouldn't have any trouble using it uh it will do a tiny little bit less damage to the tower and they plan to eventually reduce its range so that it doesn't roll quite as far it'll still hit the tower uh but you'll have to be a little bit more precise in your placement the one problem with the log right now is that you actually cannot place it on top of buildings this is a bug that was introduced with the last patch that is right. going to be hmm. corrected in the next client update. Uh, but they kept the range uh, what it was before in order to try to compensate for that fact. So you can't roll it directly on top of your mortar. Kind of a bummer. But if you roll it like one tile behind the mortar, it should still hit the enemy tower after hitting whatever uh, your opponent sent in to try to take out your mortar. Cool. So then after the log, we have arrows. Arrows recently got buffed. They got a projectile speed increase of plus 33%. That means that they get thrown out a lot quicker. So if you're dropping those on, you know, minions, especially any big uh, clumps of units that a log bait deck would try to throw at you after you use your log, like skeleton army or goblin gang, the arrows will do just as good of a job at taking those guys out. Uh, they're very long range. It's easy to throw them on top of a tower and, you know, hit a princess and maybe a elixir collector and <laughs> any other support troop on the back end. Uh, they're three costs, so they're not perfect in terms of being able uh, to get rid of uh, small, super cheapo pushes. But the fact that they can hit air troops makes them indispensable. Uh, the ability to take out the lava pups after a lava hound pops is yep. absolutely necessary. The princess mm -hmm. just wasn't cutting it. I mentioned earlier that I, I took princess out of the deck and added arrows in. Arrows just deal enough damage to one shot everything that you need them to one shot, and uh, in a metagame that really focuses us on dealing a lot of damage in a very short amount of time uh being able to shut down those pushes immediately uh is very uh important arrows also give a little bit more reach for the deck if you drop uh, a rocket log and arrows on a tower you can get a little bit further uh to taking that thing out rather than oh, just going sounds like a nightmare right <laughs> that's right death but, from above wow but but woody one of the things that you had mentioned was the fact that you're using the arrows now as opposed to the princess and is one of those reasons not only because of the the fact that you can kill the lava pups but also just the fact that using the arrows as a spell is just more precise than using the princess right because if she locks on to a troop she's effectively now just distracted until she's either done killing that troop or she dies um whereas the spell is just more versatile you can use that wherever you want whenever you want um when you need it is is that kind of another reason why you put this into the deck is the final reason and probably the best reason. And you it's the put nail it, in the coffin. Exactly. You put it perfectly. Arrows always hit, period. Boom. 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 That's yes. it. Drop the mic. Walk away. <laughs> boom. <laughs> but you know what else goes boom, right? The last card in the deck. It's the rocket. The most expensive card in the deck by far. And one of the only reasons why this deck uh, is, is even close to a 3.0 elixir cost. It's currently at 2.9. The rocket. Coming in at six elixir is what you need to take out those elixir collectors on the back end to obliterate giant and a baby dragon and 
uh, you know, archers and mega minions all on top of each other right when they cross the bridge and right when they need that big push the most, you can just absolutely destroy it. This is the card that will sit in your hand for two and a half minutes doing nothing at all. And then <laughs> at the perfect time will win you the game. Rocket is a huge surprise card. Uh, and can really disrupt your opponent's pushes, as well as providing you great reach at the end of match. It's kind of the secondary win condition in the deck, in fact. The ability to deal 493 damage at tournament standards is extremely valuable. If you get in kind of a stalemate position in double elixir time, which often happens when you're running the mortar deck, where neither of you can really connect with your opponent's tower, uh, it's oftentimes very reliable damage that you can just throw directly at them. Uh, and score for a big hit. You can usually cycle through your deck twice before whatever big beatdown push would ultimately destroy you. So, uh, you know, two rockets plus logs and arrows at the tower can deal a lot of damage. You can deal upwards of a thousand damage, uh, relatively unanswered and uncounterable uh, in a big way with the rocket. Yeah, and that, that's a really good point, Woody. And I think to your, to your point, um, the rocket is an amazing surprise card. And I got to tell you, whenever whenever I deal with a rocket at the end of a game and I don't know that it's in their it's in their their card pool, I just I completely have no faith in myself winning the game, especially when it goes into overtime, because I don't have a win condition card like that in my deck that that once you get into the 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 late portions of the game, it's going to win you the game is so long as you can defend against whatever they've got coming. Yeah, so um, that was fantastic by the way. Um, and I have a major question that I think uh, is probably on the minds of many. Um, using this deck, what types of cards or specific cards or deck types do you come across that you feel that people need to be aware of that this deck doesn't necessarily play well against? This deck does not play too well against Royal Giant unless you know what you're doing. Okay. Royal Giant is very scary for Siege players because it is basically the card that is created to shut down Siege. He's got a ton of hit points, so he can soak pretty much an entire Expo or Mortar and has enough damage and range to take those uh, Siege emplacements down before the Defender can do very much about it. So Royal Giant is very scary. What you've got to keep in mind when you're playing a Mortar Cycle deck against Royal Giant is that your cycle is so much faster than theirs. With two one elixir cards in the deck, the Skeletons and Ice Spirit, and very cheapo support cards like Archers and Knight, you can super easily lose a Mortar, play Skeletons, Ice Spirit, Knight, Archers to kill the Royal Giant, and then get back to Mortar before they can get back to the Royal Giant. So your mm. goal here is to outpace your opponent and even if you take a shot or two, or even three, you know, more from the Royal Giant, it's not the end of the world. You know, get down, but don't get out. Pressure the opposite lane whenever you get the chance to do so. If they drop a Royal Giant behind their King Tower and he's going right, you juke left, right? Play a Mortar on the left lane and defend <laughs> your heart out. Because when that Royal Giant finally reaches the bridge, if you've done a good job protecting the Mortar, it'll do have done, you know, hundreds, maybe even a thousand damage to their tower. And you'll have enough elixir to be able to shut that push down uh, that's coming in over on the right the skeletons just do a ton of damage to a, a royal giant and there's no real clear easy way to shut down uh that sort of uh defense right they can zap the skeletons or log it but that's a negative elixir trade right. uh, the ice spirit can help to retarget the royal giant onto a mortar if you do need to play one defensively but knight and archers honestly will do a ton of damage to a royal giant if left unchecked it's often very difficult to get through those cards 
in a quick manner. Royal Giant players uh, will sometimes have things like Electro Wizard or Furnace out in front to try to support the Royal Giant to provide enough splash damage to get through. Uh, but there's not really any way for them to like instantly drop a knight and kill the archers on the back end. So uh, just play smart, play defensively. Don't be worried about making every single mortar count. You can uh, afford to drop one here or there as long as you're able to outpace your opponent. And I've got one more question for you, Woody. How does this deck differ when in regular time versus double elixir time? Ah, good question. Another really great question. So I mentioned earlier that Rocket can be your secondary win condition. It's really kind of only true in double elixir time. If you throw a six elixir rocket directly at their tower and only manage to kill three or four elixir worth of troops, you're going to take a beating on the back end. They're really going to try to push hard and punish that. But when you're in double elixir time, your buildings will last the same amount of time, but they'll have twice as many things being thrown at it because your opponent is generating twice as much elixir uh, to create troops to attack you with. So since the mortar lasts just as long, it can often get a lot more value on defense in double elixir time. So you're able to cycle those rockets uh, a little bit easier and play just hard, you know, rock solid defense uh, to keep them from coming at you just as quickly. On the other hand, if your opponents are playing a really uh, quick cycly deck uh, that can stay on pace with you, if they're playing something like a hog rider log bait deck uh, that tries to outpace you while you're trying to you know outpace them and outcycle them mm -hmm. uh, then you might just continue to rely upon mortar as the primary win condition for the deck logging and arrowing whatever goblin gangs and skeleton armies that are coming at you <laughs> while you uh, shut down their tiny little pathetic hog rider pushes with things like ice spirit and uh, skeletons i feel terrible with the deck that i'm playing now. <laughs> right so we can tell how you really feel about the hog rider now, right? oh, man <laughs> That little pitiful uh, hog rider. Yeah. A little, little salty over there. <laughs> Go back to the pig pen, you little ah. Uh That was great. Take him down. No, so, so, Woody, thank you for that awesome explanation. Um, do, you know how, do you know how Neo feels when he starts downloading how to, like, fly a helicopter and, like, learn <laughs> jujitsu and stuff? That's literally what I just felt like with this mortar deck explanation. So that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that was that was all encompassing. So Woody, thank you for sharing such an awesome deck spotlight with us. For sure. And you're going to feel even more like Neo when you're dropping these skeletons and ice spirits to block these elite barbarians coming at you. They're going to be swinging swords left and right, but you're going to get little <laughs> tiny chippy uh, super el positive elixir trades. Uh, just go watch a replay. You know, you're actually able to see this deck in TV Royale once and again. Uh, it's not, uh, you know, highly unpopular. And uh, I, I'm sure if you want to watch even more gameplay, you can stop by and check it out on my stream. Boom. Boom. Uh, yeah, so that was fantastic, as we said. Um, and traditionally, what we like to do on our show is shout out some of the people that have left us iTunes reviews. Um, so we had 14 reviews over the last two weeks, which is fantastic. Um, we can't read them all. Um, so we picked three. Uh, and we would like you to read the first one. Oh, okay. This is a review by Norris Beat from the United States. The title is Inspirational. Ooh. This podcast inspired me to make my own radio on YouTube. Their chemistry and their passion for the game make this a very interesting podcast. I especially love the deck spotlight that they do. I'm in episode 15. And I use their decks for my channel. Of course, the credit is all to them and the viewers. <laughs> Keep up the great work, and I totally recommend for people to listen to this awesome show. Whoa! Inspirational, dude. Uh -huh. 
Yeah, we we sparked some creativity over there on uh, someone's YouTube channel. So that was, first of all, fantastic. Thank you for reading that. That was awesome. Um, And Norris B., thank you so much for writing us this awesome review. We really appreciate it. And we hope that your YouTube radio channel has um, uh, skyrocketed. That's right. And with the Mortar Mauler new deck that you've got here for the deck spotlight, we're sure that the new that the new deck spotlight for your channel is going to be amazing. Mm hmm. So the next review that we got uh, is from I Love Sims Freeplay. Can you tell what game this person loves? Maybe like Sims or something. Maybe a little bit. Um, And their title (laughs) is hashtag boom. Uh, And they write, you guys are awesome. I discovered this podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I love it. Rob and Joe do a great job of making a community of happy, successful players who are excited to play the game. Keep up the good work, and I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say next. Hashtag boom. 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 There are so many hashtag booms going on around here, which is amazing. Um, But Sims, thank you so much for the kind words. We're so happy that not only you feel part of the community, but also after listening to us, you feel a little bit more excited to play the game. So, like you said, hashtag boom. Boom. And the final review is from Chevrolet Z71. And they write, top-notch, family-friendly. Great podcast, they write. So glad I found this. Found a few weeks ago and started from the beginning and finally just got caught up to the most recent episode. Even listening to the older episodes were entertaining even though they were discussing older mechanics to the game that have now been changed. One of my favorite parts is that they are family friendly and that they are brothers that seem to get along great. Boom. Boom. (laughs) They are very entertaining and funny and have great knowledge of the game. I joined their Discord a few weeks ago and it's great. A lot of great people there sharing knowledge and just having fun. My only gripe of this (laughs) podcast is that they don't pump out several episodes a week. Several. Keep up the great work. Boom. Several episodes a week. Dude, we can barely do one episode every two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) But you've got great synergy and you're family friendly, you know? How long have you guys been brothers? You've been brothers for a very long time, I'd guess. So, so, yeah, Uh, a pretty long time. (laughs) Just a little longer than the year we've been doing this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So. It's a lot of work to pump out an episode every two weeks, but let alone we, we I don't know if we could ever survive doing several episodes a week, but we appreciate the uh, enthusiasm. And Chevrolet, thank you so much for this review. Um, really well thought out, very well said, um, and we really appreciate you um, being a part of the community, joining our Discord, and we're glad you're having a good time over there. So once again, thanks for the review. Boom. And a quick shout out to everybody else who left us a review. I'm just going to run through these real quick. If I don't say the country, they are from the United States. So, Just Daniel, Israedrea, Mooksywell, Slothman for the win, Omario2007 from Canada, Panzer Rhyme, Fixing Ideas, Captain Carrot, Hiptons, Awesome Sauce 1971, and Kirky Gamer from the United Kingdom! Kirky Gamer, boom! Boom! So that was not a mouthful or anything. No, it never is. It's only been this way since we've been in News Royale. So that's what you get for showing up in people's feeds. (laughs) That's so true. And and Rob, one last thing I think we wanted to mention before we started to wrap this thing up were our one-year edition t-shirts. Yes. So something special that we decided to uh, create for everyone Um, is these cool t-shirts that you can purchase uh, over at Teespring. So one of the cool things that we're doing is uh, part of the proceeds 
um, is actually being donated straight to Extra Life. And for those of you who don't know what Extra Life is, um, they are an online grassroots movement working to save local kids through the power of play. So they like bring board games and video games and, you know, a, a bunch of different games um, to sick children. Um, so we thought that it was very appropriate to donate some of the proceeds to them. Um, but there is some really cool swag uh, at this campaign. So you can get, you know, there's guys and gals t-shirts. Um, there's a sticker, there's a, uh, a hoodie, I believe. So we put together some cool stuff and it's going to be limited edition. Um, it'll have a fun logo on the back and our original Cast Royale logo on the front. Um, and some cool colors. So if, if you definitely want to, uh, you know, if you, if you haven't been able to participate in supporting the show in other ways, here is a new way that you can do that if you would like to um, from this point forward. So we'll leave it up for probably a couple of weeks, um, but you can find the link in the show notes. If you would like to go there now, you can go to teespring.com slash cast royale year one edition. So I know that's a mouthful. Um, but we will put that in the show notes for you to get to pretty easily. Very well said. So speaking of supporting the show, we did not get any patrons this week or PayPal tournament sponsorships this week. If you would like to participate in any of those, you can go to our show notes and there will be a link um, for Patreon. Uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you can get some cool swag and join in on the conversation um, and help support the show. Boom. But aside from that, Mr. Woody. If our podcast listeners want to find you, how can they do so? Best place is to come check me out on Twitter, at Woody underscore CR. You'll always be able to find me there. You can always try to find me on Twitch, YouTube, or Reddit. My username on all three of those platforms is WWoody123. Since I am a content creator like you guys, I always appreciate you sending some traffic my way, but... I uh, do a little bit different work from y'all. I make videos on YouTube uh, to try to explain some of these concepts and talk about the new features in the game. And on Twitch, I stream content live. So anyone who wants to come interact with me directly can hop in chat, ask me to try their deck out or, or ask for advice about the mortar deck that we uh, discussed today. We'd love to meet some uh, friends of the podcast here. We have participated in the stream. We've seen it. We've watched the YouTube videos. Woody, you are truly, truly an awesome content creator, and we just appreciate the fact that you took the time to come on our show. But one question I have for you is the Twitch streaming. Is it a consistent schedule, and what is that schedule for our listeners? Yeah, it is, and I appreciate you asking. I stream on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So on Tuesday, Thursday, I go live at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, just as soon as I can get back from work. On Wednesdays, I go live a little bit later at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. The event that I broadcast on Wednesday nights is called Steal the Crown, and it is a <laughs> massive event uh, hosted by Plex Chat. They provide hundreds of dollars per week for the highest level of Clash Royale competition to take place on my channel, and we offer two $25 viewer prizes per week. Nice. So maybe some of your viewers can uh, stop by and uh, win some cash if they do well enough. That's right. So we highly, highly, highly recommend... You guys check out Woody, his YouTube channel, check him out on Twitch, and check him out on Twitter. It's really awesome stuff. And when you get there, let him know that you came from the podcast, because I think that would, uh, that would probably be awesome for him. Boom. Mm-hmm. Boom. That, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I can never get enough of hearing other people say that.
<laughs> you and me both. So that pretty much does it for this ridiculously awesome one year anniversary episode. Birthday episode. Boom. In the books. Um, so if you would like to join our clan, if we have an open spot, um, feel free to shoot us an invitation. And in the invite, please write the word podcast so that we know you came from here. That's right. And if you'd like to reach out to us on Twitter, you can do so by using the handle at Podcast Royale. And if you would like to send us an email, question, comment, or concern, please send your email to feedback at castroyalepodcast.com. And as always, Rob still has a slightly not up-to-date survey that is <laughs> that is on full cylinder. But They keep but, pumping out new cards, man. I can't keep up. I know, but, but nonetheless, if you have two minutes... Click the click the link in the in the in the show notes for the survey. Take two minutes to fill it out. It really just helps us understand who is listening to the cast and drives us to make deck spotlights that are relevant to you. Right. And if you would like to join our Discord, which we highly recommend you do to join in on the conversation, um, you can find the link in the show notes. But it's castrealpodcast.com/slash/discord, and the password is legendary, all lowercase, to keep those bots out. And be sure to check out our new revamped youtube channel and you can do that by checking out youtube.com slash cast royale podcast boom boom and last but not least woody thank you so much for joining us on our episode we could not be more honored to have you on with us for the last what two hours (laughs) it's it's been pretty awesome um and i feel like i am now a better player for it and i will second that completely (laughs) well i had a blast you guys are really some of the best members of the community i i love listening to the podcast you're always bringing humor and uh really seem to enjoy the games that you play so thank you very much for inviting me on and i hope to be able to uh, maybe come back again sometime we would love that boom um so if there's nothing else i think it's time we end this a crazy shenanigan of an episode right now and we will see everyone next time for another hodgepodge of everything hodgepodge of everything hodgepodge of everything boom boom <laughs> bye bye bye, bye.